0: Let us hear the side of James O'Keefe and what exactly happened to his organization and its uh, stand against, of course, what it calls a challenging power. There is, of course, in journalism and in broadcasting and in taking up these issues, the reality that people often choose to go on the offensive and look at these topics and see what exactly is happening and why people are raising questions. It would seem the government should be interested in protecting its when these things happen, but as has been proven in the past during the Obama administration, the administrative state, some call the deep state, does not like to be exposed and it does fight back and let's see and hear from James O'Keefe on what they did to him and his organization and what it means for others who may be looking into this kind of activities and possible changes. If they can do it to someone as high profile as James O'Keefe, heck, and they can do it as someone as high profile as Donald Trump, for whom it's been clear that investigations were failed. And information that was totally fabricated, what more do you need?
1: By making this statement, I am putting myself at great risk, because on November 4th, Project Veritas came under attack. I woke to the news that apartments and homes of Project Veritas journalists, or former journalists, had been raided by FBI agents. It appears the Southern District of New York now has journalists in their sights for the supposed crime of doing their jobs lawfully and honestly, or at least this journalist. I had to think long and hard before making this statement. It's a decision that only I can make. They don't want me to defend myself and immediately try to silence me. That's why the cover letter to the grand jury subpoena we received contains this language. Quote, The government hereby requests that you voluntarily refrain from disclosing the existence of the subpoena to any third party. While you are under no obligation to comply with our request, we are requesting you not to make any disclosure in order to preserve the confidentiality of the investigation and because the disclosure of the existence of this investigation might interfere with and impede the investigation." But while the Department of Justice requested us to not disclose the existence of the subpoena, something very unusual happened. Within an hour of one of our reporters' homes being secretly raided by the FBI. The New York Times, who we are currently suing for defamation, contacted the Project Veritas reporter to ask for comment. We do not know how the New York Times was aware of the execution of a search warrant at our reporter's home or the subject matter of the search warrant as a grand jury investigation is secret. The FBI took materials of current former Project Veritas journalists, despite the fact that our legal team previously contacted the Department of Justice, and voluntarily conveyed unassailable facts that demonstrate Project Veritas's lack of involvement in criminal activity and or criminal intent. Like any reporter, we regularly deal with the receipt of source information and take steps to verify its authenticity, legality, and newsworthiness. Our efforts were the stuff of responsible, ethical journalism. And we are in no doubt that Project Veritas acted properly at each and every step. However, it appears journalism itself may now be on trial. Late last year, we were approached by tipsters claiming they had a copy of Ashley Biden's diary. We had never met or heard of the tipsters. The tipsters indicated the diary had been abandoned in a room in which Ms. Biden stayed at the time and in which the tipsters stayed in temporarily after Ms. Biden departed the room. The tipsters indicated that the diary included explosive allegations against then-candidate Joe Biden tipsters indicated that they were negotiating with a different media outlet for the payment of monies for the diary. The tipsters were represented by attorneys who handled the negotiations with Project Veritas. We investigated the claims provided to us, as journalists do. We took steps to corroborate the authenticity of the diary. At the end of the day, we made the ethical decision that because, in part, we could not determine if the diary was real. If the diary in fact belonged to Ashley Biden, or if the contents of the diary occurred, we could not publish the diary in any part thereof. We attempted to return the diary to an attorney representing Ms. Biden, but that attorney refused to authenticate it. Project Veritas gave the diary to law enforcement to ensure it could be returned to its rightful owner. We never published it. Now Ms. Biden's father's Department of Justice, specifically the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, appears to be investigating the situation, claiming the diary was stolen. We don't know if it was, but it begs the question, in what world is the alleged theft of a diary investigated by the President's FBI and his Department of Justice a diary? This federal investigation smacks of politics. Project Veritas never threatened or engaged in any illegal conduct. Should the Southern District of New York try to take away our First Amendment rights and uncover and publish newsworthy stories without government intimidation, be assured Project Veritas will not back down. Nothing stops at Project Veritas. Let me be clear. Our mission is to serve the public's right to know by illuminating, revealing, exposing information others wish to hide for the wrong reasons. To quote Lord Acton, we believe everything kept in secret degenerates. We don't mislead or conceal. We investigate facts and potential newsworthy information. Sometimes, as was the case here, after we investigate, we decide not to publish a news story. But Project Veritas will run from nothing and we will hide from nothing. We exist for the very purpose of discovering and revealing the truth and hope to make the world a more transparent place. Now, this is not the first time we've been attacked and it will not be the last. We know why. We've investigated powerful people, and in many ways, we are the very tip of the spear. But we never break the law. In fact, one of our ethical rules is to act as if there are 12 jurors on our shoulders all the time. And that truth, and the truth, will vindicate us. When the FBI in the Southern District of New York sees reporters' notebooks, it is not just an attack on Project Veritas. It is an attack on every American and our sacred right to free speech and a free press. The First Amendment is first for a reason. It guarantees all the other rights that follow. Because it's all about accountability. Without accountability, freedom itself is an illusion. So the great question is, is this an indicator in the direction that America is going? We've gone far beyond the point of partisan politics in this country. They ask us to focus on our divisions. They don't ask us to focus on the things which unite us. What unites us is so much more powerful than what divides us. The First Amendment doesn't just matter to people on one side, it matters to people on all sides. That is why I'm calling on all Americans, and especially all journalists, to stand with us for the right to free speech and the free press, and to send a message that the politics of fear will not prevail in the United States of America.
0: Now, what are the kind of projects, what exactly are the kinds of topics that James O'Keefe's group exposes? And some say, well, Project Veritas is only talking about politics and things that are embarrassing to the uh, Democrats. In actuality, no. They've gone back over the years and have done some pretty strong investigative reporting that have affected both Republicans and Democrats and have talked about how government in particular has become more and more administrative functions, how elected officials seem to be only figureheads, but these clerks in power seem to be there forever as they sit in their closets and cubicles and rule over everyone else with their actions, which are not protected by the constitution or law, but are merely policy that is brought forward. Let's look at, for example, DHS. A whistleblower came forward and showed how street gangs are tapping into this flow of endless migrants who are illegally crossing or improperly crossing the U.S. southern border. And how these cases are leading to young women and men being used and abused by these gangs, particularly, for example, Chicago, the 18th Street Gang, uh, and also here in New York City, Some of the uh, gangs uh, in in the Bronx and other areas, as well as up in Detroit, where young women are being brought in from third-party countries to be child brides to Somali immigrants linked to the uh, family of Gideon Omar, and particularly her uh, father, uh, who is rumored to be a major supplier of young brides, many rumored to be minors, to other Somali men. Let's listen to this report and how a DHS insider is talking about it, how he fears for his life because of it. This is the kind of stuff that James O'Keefe raises. These are the kinds of topics that for some reason might not see the light of day anymore because much of the data and information and protected status of these people would now be at jeopardy of being revealed by investigators who may not
1: be working in the best interest of the United States. Let's listen. So you blew the whistle on DHS. The last time you spoke to us in the shadows, you told us about some violent criminals, including members of the 18th Street Gang, obtaining work visas, applying to sponsor unaccompanied minor children.
0: We know what they're involved in, specifically sex trafficking, who is trying to become the sponsor for one of children. If in that time, you informed the US government that you have some type of fear of that your life is in jeopardy and you are put in what's called reasonable fear and it's also called credible fear. Once you, once you make the declaration of my life is in danger, you know, I may be harmed if, I, if I'm returned home, you're taken off the watch list. And so that makes it a giant loophole.
1: Are you willing to go public? I am. Tell us who you are and what you do. My name is
2: Aaron Stevenson. I'm a federal employee with the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, officially, I'm a intelligence
1: research specialist for USCIS. So these guys are, are, are have trafficked, kidnapped, smuggled children, mm-hmm. and they're let into the country because they claim a quote reasonable fear for their safety if they go back to their home country. Correct. And that, in your view, that's a loophole.
2: Well, it is because it's an informal interview done with an asylum officer, in which if there's any if there's any evidence provided at all it's not able to be viewed outside of their own their own workforce do they deny the reasonable fear uh, you will see plenty that get picked up by border patrol or cbp mm-hmm. and in, in the initial interview they ask them like do you have a fear of being returned home to your country you will see all the time they say no and then a, the a day later two days later when they begin the processing to be removed
1: uh. they will then say oh no yeah totally I have, I have a fear of being removed so eventually they'll get the reasonable fear expectation they just have to keep appealing it. yes So there's nothing there's no. there's no brakes on the car what made you decide to go public this is going to be the the biggest change to
2: immigration policy in my lifetime it's being done without anybody knowing what's going on about it and there's been no coverage for the american people to know what's going on so what are we looking at here this is a an email sent out by the director of uscis which notified us about a rule change coming forward which is going to shift the adjudicative authority of defensive asylum away from immigration
1: judges and giving it to asylum officers, which are USCIS. Okay, so this is public information? It is, yes. This is a proposed rule. They want to expedite the adjudication process to get immigrants into the United States. Um, Is the USCIS a taxpayer-funded agency? No, so USCIS is fee-funded. All of its operations, all of its uh, its cover overhead,
2: everything is based on uh, the fees that are filed by aliens when they adjust.
1: Aliens, of course, being anybody who's not a U.S. citizen. Why should people be concerned about the USCIS charging these fees for these uh, processes? There
2: leaves very little accountability to the public when this kind of operation exists. And when you couple that with giving the adjudicative authority away from an immigration judge to an asylum officer, you're removing any type of public pressure that they could apply on, on policies that they're creating then. If asylum officers get this ability to do so, Um, I will say it's going to be a rubber stamp of immediately getting uh, credible fear or reasonable fear to be able to stay in the country if they're going to be deported, but then an immediate process right away to show that they're going to be getting defensive asylum. And that's going to exist very quickly, um, also their path to citizenship. Within a year of getting defensive asylum, they can adjust their status to a lawful permanent resident or an LPR. Three years from there, they can apply to naturalize to become a U.S. citizen. So it's fast tracking, and that's the only thing that, that this is looking to consider. In the, the actual rule proposal, it's looking to make it quicker, that's it. They don't want a backlog. Hmm. It's not over until the alien wins. We, we know what's gonna happen. We know that we have no teeth, we have no ability to, to stop any type of actual uh, benefit being provided, right. whether the person is a talk alien, a terrorist, a nefarious state actor, uh, all sorts of them. Not over until the alien wins. Right, because they'll just appeal
1: whatever the decision is. And eventually and they'll, win. They'll keep going to court until they win. So you're telling me that the transference from immigration judges to USCIS effectively means no accountability and. There'll be
2: none. The, oh. Again, USCIS is a fee funded agency. Mm-hmm. So it's not like even Congress can really put the squeeze
1: on mm-hmm. um, politically. And this has inspired you to come out to Project Veritas. It has. What is your employment status right now?
2: I'm a, a day-to-day employee. Um, I currently work I work for headquarters under USCIS, mm-hmm. but I'm a remote employee. So what do you think they're going to do in response to you speaking to me? I will lose my job. Are you afraid of that? No, because I think this is more urgent for people to realize because this policy change is gonna continue to drive in um, any alien that, that they deem fit. This will drive a massive swing in in, um, in immigration law.
1: So there's a website regulations.gov. Your voice in federal decision making. I frankly never heard of this before, um, and you can attach files and comment on on what the federal government is doing. So this appears to be a call to action for American citizens to be engaged to let their voices heard to to the uh, bureaucracy there in, in the federal government.
2: Correct. And this one ends mm. the 18th. Will not October be included. October 18th. October 18th. Yes.
1: What's next for you?
2: My take right now is not focused on myself enough to to get beyond this point my point right now is this thing has to get done first i've been doing uh federal service for basically my entire career i did eight years in the marines um, i contracted for for two and a half years after that but for dod and then i've been working as a federal employee since 2012. i've been there for 17 and a half years like i'm not going to get my pension you're giving I up to your it. pension well i'm not going to get one because I won't have enough time
1: anymore. And you're gonna inspire other people to come out, right?
2: I hope, but a lot of it is too, because I, I do tell my kids, um, like you always have to do with the right thing, however you define what's right in your life, like you, know, you have your own moral compass, follow it. There's more out there than just you. So when you come across something that's wrong, you, you have to be willing to stand up to it. And if no one does, then it's on you, you have to. Some people oscillate between despair
1: and hopelessness. And I think you said something a little profound.
2: I I wouldn't say it's going to be, it wouldn't oscillate. I would say it's more of an order in which it's going to be despair than hope. So you're actually hopeful. I am. How how so? Because the despair part is realizing all these things going on right now. This is just one small part. When people leave comments on that page and when people call the representative, when they call their senators, however they want to do it, um, I think that, that's going to be a good start. So you think it'll get worse before it gets better? Yes. sort of has to get worse before it gets better. It's like a sickness. You're going to get sicker before you get better. How Deception.
1: Propaganda. A new book by James O'Keefe. pre order now at AmericanMuckraker.com.